0: How many of you were blessed by our children worshiping today and singing? Praise God. Yeah. Uh, Just tears ran down my face uh, watching them exclaim, "Noel," and then to realize that while we have the opportunity here to take in God's word as adults, your children, our children, the family of Grace's children are being fed by faithful volunteers and um, incredible staff that love them too, and they're learning. The most important thing there is that Jesus is the hope of the world and uh, I, you know, our children obviously were raised through grace and we're grateful for all the volunteers and staff that poured into them. You made the right choice by having your kids in church. You make the right choice by having them be a regular part of a Sunday morning experience. You make the right choice by leading the way by showing up and gathering on Sundays too. So. Praise God for your faithfulness as parents and grandparents and continue to make that a priority in your life. On Christmas Sunday, the 26th, we won't have services here at the church building. It's an opportunity for you and for us as a staff that will be here for six services on Christmas Eve, putting together. It's a chance for you to have a family time together, but we will. I'll be having a live Christmas uh, devotion for you. You can tune in on uh, Facebook Live. Join in. It's, it'll be a family gathering where we look at, continue this and believe the impossible. Last week, we looked at the story of Luke and how he heard from Mary. Sunday night, last Sunday night, unbeknownst to me and Anne. We went to see, along with our daughter Hannah and our son-in-law Johnny and our grandson who's being formed inside of Hannah to see the chosen Christmas. And the beauty of that account brought to life with worship is inspiring. You need to go watch it. Little did I know that the perspective of Mary is given there too. So it was a fresh reminder that Luke took into account all things eyewitnesses. Today, we're looking at the other account of The Christmas story it's only recorded in two of the gospels and maybe that perplexes you why would the gospel the good news only be in two of the gospel accounts i'm going to go to that today and unpack where i believe it was referred to and that it is important but matthew is a jewish man who's a leader that was a contemporary of the local church leader which would have been john who was at Jerusalem putting the church together. So as those two got together, information was given. Matthew passed it on and received it from Joseph through John. And it's an incredible account. Today's story is an amazing account from a man who believed and accepted the unbelievable. I want you to think about that for a moment. Had not Joseph accepted and believed, ...that his wife was pregnant through the Holy Spirit... ...then the Christmas story, as you and I understand it, would be turned upside down. I don't know if you've ever pondered this thought, but consider this for a moment. Mary knew. She knew. I would use the Greek word, oida and gnosko... ...one by experience and one by knowledge... ...that she did not have a relationship with another man. She knew that. She knew she wasn't intimate with another man... So for her to accept it first was a step of faith. But after that, when she became pregnant, she realized she hadn't hadn't had an intimate relationship. But Joseph had to believe by faith that was the case. His faith is remarkable because Mary had a little more information, for lack of better words. But Joseph had to accept and believe that she was conceived, the son was conceived through the Holy Spirit and that Mary had no relationship with another man. It took remarkable, incredible, unbelievable, impossible faith for a man to do that. And this account is a recollection of his story. Grab your Bibles and hopefully you have your Bible in your hand and put your finger in Matthew 1, and we're going to read Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, and ask you to stay in with me here in our auditoriums. And let's read this out loud together. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. In our English Bibles today, hopefully you have one in your hand, you'll notice at the top heading of your Bible, there's always a subject matter. It tells you about the pericope below it, or the paragraph below. This was inserted later. These words in bold print in your Bibles aren't included in the original text. They're not the inspired, and errant word of God that the church fathers agreed upon in the Council of Nicaea in 320. However, they tell you what's coming. And they're a good indicator. It's one of the reasons I love a hard copy. I can see it. But what it says, look at the heading in my Bible, in your Bible, probably something similar. In front of Matthew 1, 18, 25, it says, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. So what we're about to read is Joseph accepting the news from Mary first and then in the dream from the angel that Jesus is his son. Let's read this account where he accepts Jesus as his son. Verses 18 to 25, would you read it with me? took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You may have a seat. True followers of Jesus must do hard things. I want to take you back to the first century when Joseph first received this information. For you and I, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, I would accept accepted that. But imagine being Joseph, the son of a, uh, or a carpenter, whose son would eventually become Jesus, to be around during this time and have your wife come to you and say, I'm, or future wife he would betrothed to, I'm pregnant. And then for him to, be, to accept that information. Before anyone else could accept Jesus as the son of God, Joseph had to first. I want you to think about that statement. Before you and I, could accept Jesus as the son of God, Joseph had to first. He had to believe and accept what Mary said and what the angel said. Our future is indirectly impacted by one man being willing to believe in the virgin conception. Now, that should hit you pretty hard. As I was studying this week and prior weeks working these messages out, that thought hit me. What is it in my life, in your lives, in our lives together collectively? What must we believe? What can we believe? How can we believe the impossible? And if we do, it could change the whole trajectory of your family, the whole trajectory of your neighborhood, the whole trajectory of your school, the whole trajectory of your community, the whole trajectory of your team, the whole trajectory of the world. If you said, I will believe, there always takes one person to believe first. I often think about this in patents in our world. Pull away for a second. Imagine the dude or the gal who went to some investors and said, I have a great idea. He was going to convince them that if they invested their money in this product, that it would change the world's way of drinking. Imagine for the first time a man going to someone and saying, gather them in a room, I got a great idea. And as they gather in the room, investors are excited and they're seated at this table. And this guy pulls out a bottled water container and says, we can sell water in a bottle. Now, we laugh at that because that's common lingual for us and we drink it all the time. But imagine for the first time in your life, if all your life... Imagine someone sitting at that table saying, dude, come here a second. And he walks over and you go over to the, the faucet and you turn it on... ...you put a cup underneath of it and you say, it's free for you. What did it take for that group of investors to say, bottle water... ...and you'll sell it all across the world? Someone had to believe it was possible... ...in order for water to be bottled and sold even today... Joseph's faith in the impossible changed the whole trajectory of our lives to believe too. One step of obedience for Joseph helped change the trajectory of humankind. He had to believe the impossible. Mary had to believe too, but she knew she was innocent. And she knew she had no relationship. I've often pondered these thoughts... Because she did believe by faith that it was possible. It was an incredible belief in faith. But when that baby started to kick inside of her, it's really true. (laughs) Like, who could she share that with? She couldn't go, like, in a journal of medicine and say, this is what happens when, when when a baby is conceived, when there's a virgin conception. She couldn't share it with anybody and really understand other than Joseph because she was pregnant before they got married, because they were pledged to be married. But in those moments, in the first couple of months, when the baby was forming inside of her, and she knew there was a baby, who could she celebrate with? All by herself, she took it in. And she knew she had never had a relationship with another man that the living God was inside of her. Joseph, on the other hand, wasn't privy to that intimate understanding. The background here is, is a Jewish background, as, as the author Matthew writes. In fact, look at verse 18. It says, he writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And because Joseph, her husband, was Faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Think about him as as a writer. Matthew we know from history. It's important to understand the historicity of a passage and a text in the word of God. And when you study books, you can go back in history and pull out from history facts that are true. Matthew was a leader in the early church at Jerusalem. You can study that and see that. So was a man by the name of James. He's the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James. James and Matthew came together to start this early church in Jerusalem. And history would show that Joseph was dead by now. The, the, the earthly father, not biological father of Jesus. Jesus. But the brother of Jesus, James, got together with Matthew. And it would make sense that Joseph would have told his children about the birth of Jesus. Can you imagine that conversation? And so as they age and as they grew initially, by the way... John chapter 7 tells us that his brothers and sisters did not believe that he was the Messiah. So for the majority of his childhood and early adulthood, his own siblings didn't believe. But there came a point that they believed. And it was clearly evident when he rose from the dead. Fast forward, early church is being developed... Matthew is getting this information from James that was passed down from Joseph, his father, about the birth. And so he begins to write this account. You know, last week I said this, that Luke got eyewitnesses accounts of the birth of Christ. Have you ever wondered this question? And I did this week. It was a fresh thought for me. Why didn't anyone ask Jesus about the virgin conception? Like, that would be an eyewitness account, wouldn't it? Why don't we have any recollection? Jesus could say, Well, this is where I was at. This is what took place. Hey, Holy Spirit did that, and boom, th- this took place, and th- that's it. Keep in mind, Jesus was fully man. He came in an incarnate form. And I-, I got news for you when that single cell first is conceived, it's not capable of learning and reasoning. None of us could go back and talk about the, the, the conception that took place for us either. Jesus, fully, man in every way, would be unable to give a report about his virgin conception. It's interesting, but Joseph gets this info, or Matthew gets this information from Joseph. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5, there's a reference to where Paul the author talks about looking back. At the birth of Christ says, in the fullness of time, the birth of Christ took place. Let me fast forward the birth of Christ. Now let's back up to the last book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. Between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew is a period of 400 years. History calls it the silent years. During this time, when Malachi spoke his last oracle, his last, thus saith the Lord, he spoke it out, and for a period of 400 years, not another prophet would speak. And during this time, many turned away from God. Many said, God, I believe that you're there, but we need a prophet to tell us what's coming. And for a period of 400 years, they call it the silent years. But a lot took place during this time. The culture and the rule of the day became Roman rule. The language of the day, the common language, went to Greek. And during this time, the Old Testament during the silent years, which was written in Hebrew, was now translated in a Bible called the Septuagint, which is the LXX of the Old Testament in Greek. And the reason they did that is because it became a Greek culture. Rome ruled the world. Alexander the Great lived during this time. And he had conquest after conquest after conquest. He tried to take Jerusalem multiple times but couldn't take it. Because prophetically, the Bible says it wouldn't be taken to a later time. So during this time, the law from the Old Testament was in full effect. And there was a longing for people for hope and change. It was a dark Dark, dark time. They knew prophecy, but it seemed like God, like, where are you at, God? In Matthew chapter 1 in the Gospels, Jesus in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, is born. And hope came to the world. You see, when all hope was lost and the world was at its darkest time, God showed up in a totally unexpected way. He fulfilled prophecy. A few weeks back, I talked about the providential care of God and how he works things out. God even used government to fulfill his will. God used the authorities and the rulers of the day to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Do you remember why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem? It's because Caesar Augustus was living during this time in ruling. And he had a ruler with him, Quirinius. And he said, we need a census to take place that will let us know how many people are here so that they can pay taxes. Caesar Augustus wanted money. Joseph and Mary were in Nazareth. So they had to go back to their hometown to collect or write in, we're here... We're registering here. God used Caesar Augustus' greed to fulfill prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that says a virgin will conceive and give bo- will be born in Bethlehem. I've often pictured that from above as God looks down and Caesar Augustus is doing his thing that finally he makes this ruling and God looks down and says to Caesar Augustus, Thanks, bro. My will be completed through you. God can use powers and authorities, even evil powers, to accomplish his will. So Joseph gets this information in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. He gets information from Mary that she's pregnant. And he says this in verse 20. But after he had considered this, considered what? To divorce her quietly... It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In his mind, I want you to think about this. This is taken to that point in time. In his mind, he quietly divorced, if he would quietly divorce her without saying a whole bunch then he could be clear of all the gossip. He could be clear of all the the lies that he slept with her. He would be clear of the mess that would be attached to this woman that he was betrothed to. He could have washed his hands and moved on. And he did consider, the text says, after he considered doing this privately and quietly, god sent his angel to him see god saw him leaning towards signing the papers and reminded him it is worth it to do hard things it's worth it to do hard things and in that case it's worth it to marry this woman even though legally you have the right to divorce her god always has a bigger plan That we can't always see from where we sit. You see sometimes we see point of time. And Joseph was in the point of time. And all he could see was. They're going to stone her. I'm going to be attached to the story. They're going to believe lies. That I slept with her before we were married. And we will live a life of misery. And after he had quietly considered doing this. Without Pri- or pr- publicly disgracing her, an angel of the Lord came and basically said, You need to see what we see down here. You see, sometimes where you sit, it's impossible for you to see what God can do because all you see is the mess. We need to take our eyes off of us and put them on Jesus. And what I mean by that, sometimes you just got to keep walking. When you feel like you can't walk anymore through this sometimes you got to keep believing when it's a repeat occurrence and you got to believe that god can work it out for good and do the impossible sometimes you got to just keep trusting when your trust has been broken by this person sometimes you just got to keep walking when it feels like all hope is gone and it's been silent for too long and you're like the people of God were, it was silent for 400 years, but from where God sits, hear me out, his view is so different because he can see the next chapter of hope for you. When we first moved to New Paris, we lived near the Parmore Golf Course, and it's a Par 3 golf course, and we're a golfing family, and and so from the very early stage, I went up and, and introduced myself to the, golf course owner at the time. At the time, his name was Charlie Turner. I used to run around the golf course and put Miles in. And I got to know him, and I soon found out that he was a pastor of a Karis Fellowship church for a period of time. And so he asked me what I do. I said, well, I'm pastor of a church up in Goshen. And and he said, you like to play golf? I do. And I said, by the way, our family looks for golf balls by Viada. A lot of people slice on number seven there, and there's a lot of balls that And so we worked out a deal. He said, well, you find a lot of golf balls, Jim? I said, yes, I do. He said, I'll tell you what. All the golf balls that you find, bring them to my shop. I'll put them in a basket and sell them for 25 cents. And he said, I'll give you a free family membership if you can give me this certain amount of golf balls. Well, game on. I mean, we're going to do that. (laughs) So we began as a family in the summertime and early fall. Our kids were very small. And we would walk over to Viada, and we would get golf balls. We would take Martin's or Walmart bags and put golf balls. And it wasn't uncommon some nights to find 100 golf balls. The people in New Paris don't know how to play golf, but it helped us. (laughs) But we would take our kids with us. And so as our kids' age, it was a fun thing to do. Honestly, we really enjoyed it. Because we knew the end result was a family membership. When Isaiah was very little, he would often get frustrated because he couldn't find golf balls. And I remember when he was about three years old trucking along with us, and, and I wanted him to, to keep walking. I wanted him to keep seeking. I wanted him to keep believing that he could find one. I wanted him to keep trusting that he, that, 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 that he would find one. Little did he know, and I didn't tell him two years later, I would have him walk with me, and as he was looking away, I would drop a ball in front of him. And I would take him with me, and as we would walk, I would make sure that he could get to the spot where it was better than what it was back there. And as he came to this spot, he would pick up the ball and say, Dad, I found the ball. And we would celebrate in that moment. You see, I wanted him to keep believing. I wanted him to keep trusting. I wanted him to keep walking. I wanted him to keep hoping. And so I could see ahead of the trail that he couldn't see. And I knew that I had something good for him down here. And if he just believed and continued, he would come to that. God does that all the time for us. Joseph was in that kind of place. If he could just believe the impossible and just keep walking and waiting, that one day there would be this baby born in Bethlehem that was Emmanuel. Jesus, which means God saves. Emmanuel means God with us. All he had to do was believe and accept the way. God saw him leaning, the text says, towards signing the papers and quietly, not disgracing her, just walking away and cleaning his hands. And he knew that he had to step in and get his eyes off of this and all of them and all the people, all the junk that people like to say and people like to say it in our world too. See what happened? Can you believe? Take your eyes off of that. There's something good that's coming because I work all things out for good to those that are called by my name. God always has a bigger plan that we can't always see from where we sit. So he was pledged to be married to Mary. We know from the Christmas account that she was pregnant when they got married, but she was pregnant before they got married, too. God also knew that Mary needed encouragement. Like, where would she go? Where would you go? And and, and say, hey, like, as a pregnant lady, don't you like celebrating with someone? Like, I'm pregnant. She couldn't go anywhere! Like, she couldn't have a reveal party. (laughs) They would just cast judgment on her. She knew it would be a blue boy. And there was nowhere to go, and and her husband is, you know, he's leaning to divorce her. And so God does something special for her. He says, hey, go to Elizabeth's house and Zachariah's house. And the text says that she made her way to Elizabeth's house, and she was probably feeling like, I got a gut feeling that Joe, he's done. And so she goes to Elizabeth's house, and she knocks on the door, and... And as she goes in there, she soon finds out that that Elizabeth is pregnant too. And it says, the baby leaped for joy. And then Elizabeth says, blessed are you, woman, for you carry the Son of God. Can you see what God did for her? Everyone needs someone that believes in them, don't we? And it was like he brought her in his life. He brought Elizabeth in. And Elizabeth says, it's good. I understand. Even though the rest of the world doesn't. And Joseph is thinking about divorcing you. Woman, the son of God lives in you. Woo! And she needed that. Let me just pull away and make that big picture. That's why it's so important to gather in a local church on Sundays. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 10, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. And just prior to that, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, but encourage one another. You can't encourage one another sitting on your couch week after week after week after week after week. You need to see FaceTime with each other, not on your phone. And Mary went to Elizabeth and was encouraged. By the way, don't you wish, if you were Joseph, that somehow that angel that came to you in a dream would do like a facebook live to the world <laughs> you see there was no facebook live there wasn't even a group email there wasn't there weren't any podcasts to be played there was just an angel meeting a man in a dream telling a woman that you're going to birth the child of god you just must believe and accept it. Everyone from that moment on, think about this, and sometimes this gets lost in the story. Thought of Mary as the impure girl. You see, we have the written record. We have an account that says, "Well, we know that no, it was a virgin conception, and it's it, like it's Christmas story. No, they didn't have the Bible wasn't written yet." And from that point on, and, we, and it took 35 to 40 years later until the written account that was spread along and people read it. The book of Matthew wasn't even on the, the chart yet. It wasn't in, in anywhere in, in the bookstores. You couldn't get audio a Bible or book, and it was impossible to get it. And so for 35 to 40 years, no one would know this account that's being written that we are privy to. So as they looked at the high school yearbook and they saw the picture of Mary, they'd probably ponder, oh yeah, that's, that's the girl that <laughs> she slept with someone before they got married. What a shame. She was a great gal, wasn't she? Just a commoner and pleasant and good, but man, I can't believe she slept around before she got married. No one knew anything about her dark side. So gossip mill. Holy cow, can you imagine our cancel culture today getting word of that on social media? Mary would have been shredded by this time, this 30 years, with gossip and slander. And as far as we know, there was never any clarification or vindication for Mary until the New Testament was written 30 to 40 years later, which by this point was kind of irrelevant to the gossip and slander that was there. And as best as we know, they were looked down upon for many years. And their reputations were destroyed. Not by angry family members, but by Jesus' birth. By the way, Scripture tells us that Joseph wasn't even around at the time of Christ's death. So he spent his whole life, Joseph, his whole life, ridiculed, gossiped, and slandered against. Never once to be able to prove that his son was the Messiah... Scripture gives no indication that Joseph was around at, at, at the death and burial and resurrection. He spent his whole life, people believe in lies. But let me tell you, because of his faith, because of his life and love and obedience, the whole trajectory of mankind has been changed forever. Man, I want to be a man like that, don't you? But I'm convinced when he stood before his Savior one day, our God, the creator of heaven and earth, said, well done, Joseph, well done. Now remember, Matthew gets his information most likely from James, and he was a leader in the church. There's so much confusion about this end, and honestly, I want to clear it up. It, it sounds good when you read it to your kids, but can we speak truth for a moment? what really took place and what the Bible really said, listen to me, there was no end. You say, Pastor Jim, how how, how do you know that? Well, turn to Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just turn your Bibles a few pages. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. I believe the NIV, which is, uses the Maccabean text, which I believe is a, shown to be a more reliable Greek text than the Texas Receptus, which a few versions use, says this in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. Luke says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a what? What's your Bible say? A son. She wrapped him in what? What's your Bible say? Cloths. And placed him in a what? Manger. Because there was no what? Guest room available for them. What? Guest room? When I grew up, there was no room in the end. It's a poor translation, and let me help pull away and help you understand this. During Jesus' time, especially in Bethlehem, listen to me, Bethlehem was like going to New Paris, and all we have in New Paris is, listen to me, a Dollar General, and praise God for that. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, that was like people celebrated, got out on the streets <laughs> and just celebrated. Dollar General, yeah. There's no hotels in New Paris. There are no hotels in Bethlehem. It was a small city. It was just like you you went through there and you you breathed twice and you were through it. But the reason there were so many people there is because of the census being taken by Caesar Augustus. And Quirinius, his his co-worker. And so they had to go back to your town. And so when they came to the, 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 the bustling city of Bethlehem. There was no room, no guest room for them. And let me help you understand what a guest room really is. Let me show you this picture here for a second. This is a first century house. This is what, where Jesus would have been born in a place like this. This is a peasant lower class home. And if you look at this home, you see that it's one house. It has a roof. And normally they would go up on the top of it. But their living quarters, to the far right on the bottom, there are stairs that go up to the living quarters. That's your sleeping quarters. That's your kitchen. And that's where you ate. And there are steps that go down. So there will be a large room divided by a wall. And at the lower case, that's where the animals stayed. And then you can see there's a feeding trough there and a water trough. So here's what happens. When it was nighttime, your animals came in the ha- same door that you came in. They slept on the bottom half, and they have found archaeological digs where animals would work their ways up the steps, just like your pets. You got big pets, they're big too, and they walk through your house, they walk right up the steps, and they would come into the upper area of the family room. And in some cases, they found in archaeological digs, there were mangers or feeding troughs for the animals to come up and eat. You do the same. You put your pet dishes in your kitchen. They don't. Give them a hard time. And so they come and eat. This is the kind of home that the Jewish people would have had during this time. Now, there were an upper class of Jewish people who lived during this time. They would have a house that would be different than this home. Let me show you the next slide. Their house would have multiple rooms And in some cases, multiple levels. Still, the animals are in your house, but you would have rooms in other places. You would climb a ladder. And in some cases, they would build an additional, Jeff, you'd appreciate this, just an L wing, a mother-in-law's, father-in-law's wing. And that was what they called the guest room. Let me show you the next picture here of a home. But animals lived in the house. But if you were rich, you had a guest room. So when Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem to register because Caesar Augustus wanted some money from taxes, they knocked on a family door member. And the family member said, sorry, the guest room is full. You can stay with the animals. So they came in into their house and Mary took the feeding trough And turned it into a manger. And Jesus' body was placed in that. Now let me pull away and tell you a little about Jewish culture that's very important. If in fact, if in fact there was an inn, I don't believe there was. If in fact there was a Motel 6 in Bethlehem, I don't believe there was. And if in fact a Jewish couple came and knocked on the door in a Jewish city and said, My wife is pregnant then the owners of that home would be forced and immediately would open up another room because if you turned down a pregnant woman that needed a place to stay, culture during that time would ostracize you and your Motel 6 would not have another guest. So Jesus was born in a guest room in the home of someone The manger was a feeding trough that he was born in along with the animals. And yes, the animals came in. They did their business on the floor and Jesus was born in that room. Think about the simplicity of that for us for a moment. His role... Joseph, in verse 21, was called by the angel to name Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Prophecy, again, Isaiah 7:14 14, says that, that a virgin will give birth. The first name Jesus is what he does. The second name Emmanuel is who he was, God with us. Jesus was born as a man because he had to be a man to be a true representative for us. Here, let me help you understand this. Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live and died the death we were condemned to die. Christmas reminds us that we have hope in Christ. scripture defends itself. Do you know why Matthew chooses Isaiah 7, 14 in this text? Look at Matthew chapter 1. Do you know why he chose this prophecy over the 465 prophecies? Look at verse 23. Matthew inserts Old Testament prophecy which says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The reason he inserted virgin in this prophecy is because he knew that Jewish people were good students of the Old Testament and they were familiar with the prophecies of the day. So if Mary would say, I have a child and I'm a virgin, they would say, huh, I read that somewhere before. And they would accept that because of what was already written. In other words, Scripture defends itself. The virgin birth, it's the most hotly debated topic even to this day for 2,000 years. Can I give you some terms and define them? Because I think they're critical to us understanding about the birth of Christ. Let me define the word virgin birth. Unfortunately, let's begin here, virgin birth in some circles is defined as Mary is a perpetual virgin and never had any more children. Catholics believe that. And so they would say this, yes, Mary had a virgin birth and Mary never again her entire life, she perpetuated virginity. In fact, some believe that she was born of a virgin. And what happens is, one of the reason there's all these Hail Marys that you have to do when you go to a priest to confess your sin, is because they have sainted Mary in the place of Christ. So, how can we defend that she did have other children? Scripture defends itself. I want you to take a look with me to Matthew 1.16. Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, is called the Messiah. Now look at verse 23.5 of Matthew 1. It's what the text implies. We would say implicit text. Exegesis. Exegesis. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25. Look at your own eyes. Look what it says. Matthew writes this But he, Joseph, did not what? What's, what's your Bible say? What's the word? Consummate. Okay. We all understand that, okay? <laughs> Didn't have sex, okay? Did not consummate their marriage. Here. Now, what's the next word? What's the next word after that? Until. So, implicit tax means until. It means it's implied. Listen. That he did. Look what it says. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That implies implicitly that he did consummate their marriage, which means that Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin, which means that once she gave birth, she had more kids, and she did. Joseph, Judas, Simon, Jude, look at, and sisters, the text says in John 7. In in Mark chapter 6. So they weren't his cousins. They were the biological kids of now Joseph and Mary. Let me define the word virgin conception. I lean towards this word when I talk about the Christmas story. And I believe we all should. Virgin conception makes it possible to be fully man and fully God. This terminology is better suited for Mary and Jesus. It makes it possible for Jesus to be born without original sin. Otherwise, if he had a biological father, then sin is passed down through the federal headship of men, starting with Adam. Because Jesus didn't have a biological father, the line of descent of sin from Adam was partially interrupted at the virgin conception. That's why Matthew one sixteen says that Jesus was the son of Mary. Hear me out. In the... During this time, if you were from a family, you always said in Jewish custom, I'm from the Brown tribe. I'm from Jim Brown family. You wouldn't say, I'm from Ann Brown family. And the fact is, Jewish custom always listed the the father as the patriarch from the family line. But in the genealogy of Jesus, it says that Jesus was the son of Mary. Why? Because Joseph wasn't his biological father. Man, the scripture so awesome. Just as. I mean, he just put it. There it is. And furthermore, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Here's what the Holy Spirit did during this time that only he can do. One thirty-five. Look at one thirty-five. It says the angel answered, "The Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will over what you, shadow you, overshadow what? The Holy Spirit overshadowed the transmission of sin through Jesus. The influence of the Holy Spirit was so powerful and sanctifying in its effect." that there was no conveyance of depravity, guilt, shame, or sin to Jesus because the Holy Spirit overshadowed. The Holy Spirit said, "Uh uh-uh, not happening here. And regardless of circumstances, whether pleasant or enjoyable, God is always fully in control. Okay, people often ask this question. I've had it asked of me. Okay, Pastor Jim. If the virgin conception is true, then why doesn't John, why doesn't Mark record the virgin conception? Why isn't it there? If, in fact, the gospel, which means good news, doesn't include the good news of the birth, then it's like a 50% chance that he was really born. A virgin conception. It's a good question to ask. But the truth of the matter is this is that in Mark chapter 6, let's go to Mark. Matthew, Mark, Mark Mark, chapter 6, verse 3. Mark says this in his gospel account. He says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's what? Son. He refers to, listen to me, Jewish custom would have Joseph's son but he indirectly implies that he was born through Mary, which implies implicit in Scripture that it was a virgin birth. Okay? What about John? He has so much written. John the Baptist came and he pointed people to to Jesus' coming, and Jesus said, I'm the Son of God, but why doesn't he record? So did John really believe that Jesus was born of a, 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 a virgin? So what you do? You go back to history. And this is what scholars do. Let's go back in history. Was there anything ever written that John said that Jesus was conceived to a virgin? Well, there was. A man by the name of Ignatius lived during the time of John. John, who did the biblical th- thing, had a disciple that he mentored. And so he spent time, guess who he spent time with? Ignatius. Ignatius was a disciple of of John. Ignatius wrote a letter to Mary. And this letter is in the historical accounts of Jewish history. And in this letter, he wrote this. This is what Ignatius wrote. He says, thou oughtest to have comforted and consoled me who am I, a neophyte, a disciple of beloved John? He saying, I know John. He said, for I have searched or heard wonderful things to tell, respecting thy, thy son Jesus. Ignatius says, I am astonished by such a report. But I desire with my whole heart to obtain information concerning the things which I've heard from thee. Who always was intimate and allied with him and who was acquainted with all his secrets. I have also written to thee, Mary, at another time, and have asked thee concerning the same things. Fare thou well, and let the Neophytes who are with me be comforted by thee, and thee, and thee, amen. Mary replies back to Ignatius. Ignatius got that information from John. This is Mary. This is her written account. She opens the lowly handmaid of Christ Jesus to Ignatius. Her beloved fellow disciple. The things which thou hast heard and learned from John, she says, concerning Jesus are true. Believe them, cling to them and hold fast the profession of that Christianity which thou hast embraced, and conform thy habits and life to thy profession. Now I will come with company with John to visit thee and those that are with thee. Stand fast in the faith and show thyself a man, nor let the fierceness of persecution move thee, but let thy spirit be strong and rejoice in God thy Savior. John believed in the virgin conception. Often, we just need to believe. And often, the comforting words of a friend who believes in you is of greater value than any sum of money. John believed Ignatius. Mary had the comfort of Elizabeth. Joseph believes Mary. We know from reading this account that something so miraculously impossible took place that a man, listen to me, that a man... By the name of Joseph would be willing to forego his future and marry a woman who was pregnant with a child that wasn't his own. Joseph being a righteous man did what was right regardless of the personal cost to him. Let me just close with a few questions for you to ponder with. Are you willing to make a tough life changing decision for God? even if it costs you your reputation? Are you willing to face the brunt of other people's criticisms and judgmental attitudes because of making a hard decision to follow Jesus? Joseph considered doing that, but he didn't. Are you aware of someone who needs an advocate like Joseph and Mary did to stand alongside of them and say, just stay with it, stay with it. You're doing the right thing. I'll stand with you. I'll celebrate, Elizabeth said. I believe, I believe our God can do that. Even when it sounds crazy, but you know they've heard from God and you stand with them and say, I'm with you too. Where do you need to believe the impossible right now? And lastly, let me ask you this question. What might have happened if Joseph had not chosen this route? He might have had a storybook wedding with another woman. He might have had a nice construction company, but he would have missed out on Jesus Christ. Next week, on this stage, we're going to present the gospel for people to receive and believe the impossible. And at the end of this message, I'm going to give a plea for people to trust and believe just like you have at some point. But the truth is, they won't know unless you invite them. And I know what happens when I say this. You see, evangelism has many levels. Some of us say, well, I can't share because I'm not smart enough. Because I don't know enough and I don't want to be embarrassed. Well, just begin here. Just go up to someone and say, can I pray for you? What's the worst they can say? I'm not into that. That's okay. Can I pray for you? (laughs) And maybe you're in this camp, and I've had this camp with a lot of people, that your testimony at work or in the school, or maybe in the bleachers that your son's basketball game doesn't reflect Christ. And you say, how could I invite someone to church when my life doesn't match my faith? I think that's the easiest scenario. What do you mean, Pastor Jim? You go to these people that, and you say, I owe you an apology. And you confess to them that You do believe in Jesus. and You haven't lived the life that Christ wants you to live. And you apologize. And then you say to them this. I haven't valued or esteemed my relationship with you in such a way that I have lived out Christ the way I should. Please forgive me. But I want you to know that there's a God that forgives. And I want you to come with me to hear about him next week. Maybe, just maybe... Just one invite will change the whole trajectory of a whole family. It did for me. Someone invited my mom to church. And the whole trajectory of the brown generations have been changed forever. And so will our grandson. Because, listen to me, someone was willing to make the ask. Listen to me. Don't come back next week for another good message. Praise God and hallelujah and take notes. Give up your seat so someone can believe the impossible too. What might that require? It might require you You say, you know what, I want you to come and let's go out for lunch afterwards. And that might inconvenience you a little bit because you've got Christmas things to do with your family. So what? Someone could be going to hell unless you invite them. So maybe you take them and say, we'll take you out for lunch. And maybe you have them over to your house and have just, I mean, Jesus was the best tabler there was, wasn't he? He tabled all the time and talked and had people in his house. And he was a friend of sinners and people couldn't believe him. He was just tabling with them. Maybe you invite them over. But listen, if you invite them to the house, don't act weird, okay? Like don't have a can or a jar of oil anointing and want to anoint them when they come in. Like, (laughs) got some weirdos out there, man. You know, when the shepherds first saw Jesus, they were the first. They were the first evangelists, too. They're the lowest of lowest, by the way. In fact, many of them were thieves, the shepherds. You didn't apply to be a shepherd. In fact, most people didn't even like shepherds. But Jesus called the shepherds to go see Jesus first. And it says, when they came and saw, they left and told others. Here's the picture, literally. Just They went and saw, and when they left, they said come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see. He's born. He's here. That's what you can do next Sunday. Just come and see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Your invite, hear me out, could change our world for Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray that... We wouldn't keep the gospel to ourselves, and it's not good news until it's shared. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who need some good news in this hopeless, crazy, canceled cultural world that we live in, where fear is rampant. And like the angel told Joseph, do not be afraid. I pray, God, that this place will be full of people who are seeking Jesus, and when they hear the truths of your word... They say that's what I've been waiting for. And may this building, may these walls, may this gathering place be a place where hundreds and hundreds of people trust in Jesus. Give us boldness, God. Thanks for the way you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.